0: Um, April 2019, on pretty much the same week, two people got barred from Twitter. The first one was a guy called Tommy Robinson. Tommy Robinson is the head of the English Defence League, a very, very racist man. He posted some things on Twitter that were deemed to be hate speech, and so Twitter rightly banned him from from having an account. Same week, a very famous person also got barred from Twitter. Uh, She would probably be... Considered one of the greatest human beings ever to live, she is also dead now. But yet, she was still barred from Twitter. Uh, Someone had posted a tweet from Mother Teresa, who said some incredible things during her life, gave her life to serve the poor. But someone had tweeted something that she said that somebody deemed at Twitter deemed to be offensive, and so barred Mother Teresa from Twitter. Amazing bizarre sometimes somebody who's considered really amazing is suddenly and swiftly told that they are not we had it with a girl who lived over the road from us we had this amazing relationship with this girl who was starting to come to church we had she's brilliant she looked after willow when she was little we um did so much together she's in and out, in and out of our house but overnight she suddenly something switched that we still to this day don't really know the story behind what happened but she decided she hated us. She never came to church again, she disappeared, she soon moved out of the estate and from being really involved in our lives and loving her her, and her loving us it totally switched and that's what happens in the early church. A couple of weeks ago Ian was sharing about these guys who uh, after the Holy Spirit had come at Pentecost They began to teach and preach. They began to share all their possessions. And there's this phrase that says um, that they found favour with all people. As the church is growing, (laughs) everybody loved those new guys that were following Jesus. Those people who believed in Jesus found favour with everybody. Whether it was from the poorest to the richest to the government to whoever it was, they had real favour. Then suddenly things begin to change. Peter and John do that bit where they like, lift the lame man out who can't walk and he suddenly starts to walk and a miracle happens. And then you get uh, them in, accused in front of like, all the senior guys and they're told not to talk about Jesus anymore. It's a secret. From now on it's got to be a secret. But the problem with the people that have seen and heard and experienced Jesus, they just can't keep it to themselves. And so all the favour that they began to experience starts to get shut down and people begin to react in a bad way. And that's where you find uh, the story of Stephen. So Stephen is one of the followers of Jesus. He thinks Jesus is real. He has heard the stories of Jesus being killed on the cross, being put in a tomb, raised into life, coming back and seeing some people before going to heaven. He's one of those guys. And he's following the teaching of what are called the apostles, the 12 apostles who were like the original disciples Apart from Judas who is a baddie and he's dead already. They're following the apostles right and so people start to complain and there's this group of guys called the freemen of the synagogue. They've got a special synagogue called the freemen synagogue and it's those guys who decide they're going to make it hard for the new Christians and so they start to complain. They say it's great that you're telling everybody about Jesus but what you've forgotten to do is care for the poor well, that's not what they wanted. They actually wanted to be people who represented Jesus. So what they're saying is, you're not really representing Jesus very well. You're telling everybody about Jesus but you're not doing the things that Jesus did. You're not caring for the poor, particularly for these widow widows. In their culture, they didn't have an NHS. They didn't have a pension system. And so if you were made a widow because your husband who raised all the money died, you would have nothing. No one to care for, for you. And so it was down to the the Christians to care for these widows and what they're saying is you are telling spending all your time telling everybody about this Jesus but you're not doing what Jesus said which is care for people so there's a whole bunch of these widows that are starving really hungry so the apostles get together and they say well we can't really stop telling people about Jesus to care just for these widows what we need to do is raise up some new leaders and uh, so they decide that they're going to appoint seven Leaders that they call deacons, who are going to be the guys that serve the widows and distribute food, and so they get these list of seven, and one of the seven is a guy called Stephen. Stephen is totally cool. He's described like this in the in uh, Acts chapter six: a man full of God's grace and power, and he performed great wonders and signs amongst the people. Now, as soon as you start doing anything good. Again, these guys start to complain and so they, they decide they're going to try and take down Stephen because there's something a bit special about Stephen. don't know if you've had that, when you feel like life is going well and then suddenly someone decides they're going to try and take you down a peg or two, well Stephen starts doing great things and then these guys are like, let's go for Stephen, let's take him down. So they convince some baddies to lie about Stephen. So they, they make up these lies that say, Stephen is trying to deny our past. He's trying to say that Moses, that what they're like, one of their founding prophets was not true. He was saying that Jesus was gonna tear down the temple. All these kind of lies that are completely stupid make no sense. But they said, Stephen is the architect, the one who's made all these things up. And so Stephen gets arrested. He's brought before the authorities and the religious leaders and uh, they begin to question him about what he said. And Stephen is totally fooled, right? Because when he's given his chance to speak, he stands up in front of them and then he gives them their entire history. He starts off with Abraham and he works them all the way through their history in this amazing speech that pretty much says, look, I haven't been saying anything bad about it. I know it all. I believe it all. All that you've seen written in the scriptures is true. And so he takes them all the way through their history, and then he lands on Jesus. And that's where it gets back. Because as soon as he's coming into land, he starts saying things about them. He says, you guys have got it wrong. Because you guys have got a stiff neck. A stiff neck means they're unwilling to look anywhere else. You know when you've got a stiff neck, have you ever had a crick, crink in your neck? Or crick, what's it called? Crick. A Crick in your neck. You know when you feel like it hurts to move anyway. He's saying you guys have like got a stiff neck. You won't look at any other way. You've just got your head fixed and you refuse to be changed. He's saying you're unholy. He says something about you've not had your ears circumcised, which is not actually a thing. You can't have your ears circumcised. That's not a thing. What he's saying is you've got unholy ears. You listen for bad things, not good things. And you've got an uncircumcised heart. It means your heart is dirty. Your heart is unclean. So as soon as he starts saying, you guys are unwilling to change, you guys are unholy, he says, you're like our ancestors who killed the prophets. And then you even killed the one that the prophets said would come. You killed Jesus. Now people don't like that. When you tell them and accuse them of murder, it gets real serious. When he says, you killed Jesus and he's the special one, they're like, oh, I don't think so. And so it says they get angry. I love it how, like in the Bible, they describe people who get angry. I think the word is, um, it says they gnashed their teeth. That's how angry they were. <laughs> I love that image. I love to imagine. They just like get so angry, they gnash their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he gets. They're absolutely livid. The writer says they gnashed their teeth. And, um, and then it says this amazing thing that S- Stephen, filled with the holy spirit looks up and it see he sees heaven open and there he sees jesus next to god he has this vision of heaven that's really important later on because what's going to happen is not very nice and he and he and he says to them wow i just saw heaven open and i saw jesus by the way he's the one you killed (laughs) Uh, he is next to god what he's what he's saying is i can see heaven and the one you killed is equal to god and they are so mad it says they run at him they rush at him and they start to beat him and they grab him and they drag him out outside of the city outside of the town they drag him out and then they begin to throw stones at him that is not very nice not a nice thing to do so they pin him to the ground, lobbing these big rocks at him, and they intend to kill him. And it says this in verse 59, While they're stoning him, Simon prayed, uh, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's his like, final prayer, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And as he said this, he fell to sleep. That's a really nice way of saying he died. He got a rock to his head that smashed open his skull, his brain fell out, and... <laughs> I've just added that bit in. And, and, then, and then he dies. It's a proper gruesome death. He got, they got so angry with the things that he said that they took him outside and they killed him. But what was fascinating, as I read that story, I thought, so interesting that he's accused by these men called the free men. the the freed men of the synagogue. These guys who thought they represented what freedom was, but yet they knew nothing of the freedom that comes in Jesus. Stephen could have been captive in this situation. He could have let it get the best of him. It's interesting, he could have been captive by his job. Because his job, if you read what his job was, was just to look after the tables. You know on our rota, someone's job it is to provide the snacks, like it was Stephen's job to do the snacks. It wasn't Stephen's job to preach, it wasn't Stephen's job to do amazing wonders. Stephen could have been captured and captive by his job, but yet, given the opportunity, he wants to do wonderful things for God. He is not limited by his job description. He could have been captive to the lies that are said about him. I don't know if anyone's ever said anything bad about you, lied about you, but it can really wrap you up, can't it? I, I, when someone's leveled an accusation and said some wicked things about you, it, I don't know about you, but I get totally kind of locked in. I feel so restricted and horrible. I feel like all the things that are being said about me, are they actually true? Does that? You know, you start to doubt yourself. You think, does everybody think this about me? And so you begin to become captive to the lies that are spoken about you. It could have been gripped with fear. You know when someone accuses you and then they drag you into court. I don't know if you've ever been to court. I've been to court a few times to help people. (laughs) Not because of uh, accusations, Beth. But... I, I've been, I was there one time when this, one of my youth was, um, something horrible had happened to her in my community and so I went to support her in court and some of the evidence that, that the, uh, that the prosecution said to her, some of the horrible things they said to her, made me so angry that I shouted out, I shouted out in the court to the judge and said, this is not true. What, you, what they're saying are lies, right? And uh, the judge said, the judge said, sit down, young man. I will not tell you again. So I sat down. And then it happened again. Something was said about this girl who I love. And so I shouted out again. And then he shouted at me and said, if you don't sit down, I will do you for contempt of court or something like that. Anyway, but I suddenly felt all fearful. Actually, it's a, when you're accused of stuff, you could easily be fearful. You could fear men. You know when other people's opinions about you, it's easy to fear of what other people think. Stephen could have been captive to what he thought other people thought. He could have fe- feared death. You know when they grabbed him and dragged him, he didn't say he went with him because he was dead pleased. Like, I imagine, he knew he was going to die like they they said he was blasphemous which is means they accused him of saying something which meant he believed that they thought he believed God should die that's what blasphemy is that something against God and so the 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 punishment for blasphemy is to be killed he could have really really feared being taken outside and killed but he didn't He could have been captive to bitterness. You know, he could have legitimately hated those people that were accusing him and lying about him. He could have been filled with bitterness, and I don't know about you, but bitterness locks me in. You know, when stuff has happened to me and my family, bitterness keeps me captive. Bitterness restricts you and holds you back. He could have been captive to anger, like legitimately furious that they would say the things they said. He could have been captive to unforgiveness and captive even to the injustice that he was going to face. But yet Stephen is not captive. Stephen is free. Stephen has an amazing freedom. And I'm trying to think, what is it that brings freedom? How do we live in light of freedom? And it comes for Stephen because he's exchanged his life for the life of Christ. This is what happens when we begin to understand what Christ has done for us. We recognise that he faced the accusation, he faced the injustice, he faced lies and he faced death. He faced fear in the face and so when we find ourselves in times of difficulty, we need to rec- recognise that Jesus faced all these things and he has exchanged his life for us he's faced all those things so that we don't have to and when Jesus left he said this amazing thing my peace I give you my freedom I give you so Jesus went from this earth leaving peace and leaving us freedom he takes with him all the stuff that holds us back all the stuff that keeps us captive and I love this passage in John chapter 8. It says, when the Son, which is Jesus, sets us free, we are truly free. When Jesus sets us free, we are free indeed, it says. When we are really set free and realise that our lives have been exchanged for Jesus and the freedom that he's given, we can live in freedom. Nicky was saying, telling me about uh, this guy called Tim Keller who writes a great book. And he talks about when we're accused, when people accuse us, We need to remember that it's not us in the courtroom it's not us that's being accused but it's jesus jesus has dealt with the accusations all the lies that people say about you jesus has faced the accusation so that you can go free all the things that hold us back jesus has taken so that we can go free freedom means to live in the freedom that jesus gave and so when we think about our past and how easy it is to be trapped by our past, there's things in my life that can tra- easily trap me in some negative thinking, some stuff that I did when I was young that I really wish I hadn't done. My past can trap me. But yet Jesus says, I took your past, I give you my freedom. I can easily get trapped by money the need for money, what I need to spend what, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but I feel like Jesus says, let me free you from that. Give me that and I'll give you my freedom. I can sometimes get uh, uh, trapped by fear, fear of what's going to happen tomorrow, fear about what's happened in the past, fear about what's happening right now and I feel like Jesus says, give me your f- fear and I will give you my freedom. I don't know what traps you and keeps you captive. I don't know whether it's stuff that's happened to you or stuff that is worrying you about the future. And maybe that's where I wanted to land today. Just have a think about the things that trap you and keep you in. And remember that Jesus says, give me those things and I will give you freedom. When we understand freedom, we understand that God is in control. Freedom says that God will make sense of where we're at. Freedom says that our future is with him. Freedom says that our mistakes are paid by Christ. And that's what is amazing about Stephen because he lives in the freedom of Christ and therefore is fearless. You know, he, in this moment of most fear, when everyone's accusing him, he knows he's just about to die, he looks up to heaven, and sees God, he has a bigger, uh, an eternal view. Freedom lifts us out of our present situation, the stuff that holds us in, it lifts us out and shows us God's view of things. He looks up and he sees Jesus next to God. You know why Jesus is next to God? It's so that Jesus can talk to God about us. There's a passage that talks about Jesus intercessing, which means uh, standing in the way of God and us. Jesus speaks to God about us all the time and he whispers into the ear of his father and says I love them can you help them I love them can you help them and he looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus next to God and he knows it's going to be okay and I love that even in the face of this real like persecution and he's facing death he's able to say forgive them God." Like in that moment where he could say, get him God, like that's what my approach would be. People are lobbing rocks at me. I mean, me me and my mates as kids, we used to have stone fights. I don't know if you've ever done that. We'd like stand by the river and throw stones at another gang and they'd stand by the river and throw stones at us. We had stone fights. If you ever got whacked with a stone, very painful. And it makes you really angry. In this moment of being, like having rocks thrown at him, he could have said, looked up to heaven, seen Jesus and go, get him, Jesus. Send some angels with big swords. But actually he says, forgive him, Jesus. Forgive them, Jesus. What amazing freedom that he lives in and the point where he really, you know, would love the angel army to come down and attack him. Wow, chop all the heads off. No, actually he says, forgive him, Jesus, because he's living in freedom. He wants the best for them. And that totally flips the world on its head, doesn't it? Where, where the world would keep us captive. And, and you know when you're feeling like everyone's against you, you just wanna see harm come to people. We had someone that did some, some weird stuff to our family that really hurt us. And I, for ages, was hoping bad things would happen to them. Like at night, I'd think about all the bad things that could see their life come to an end. And I felt like God say, you know what? That's not living in freedom. Actually, you'll know my freedom when you start to hope the best for those who hurt you. Start to hope for the best for those who've done damage to you. That doesn't make sense unless God helps us. The good thing is that Jesus, when he, said, when he left, said he'd leave us his helper. The Holy Spirit. Remember, God is three in one, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus is next to God saying, send help." And God is sending his Holy Spirit who helps us. There's a beautiful verse uh, in 2 Corinthians that says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom for our lives. Why? Because the Spirit is helping us to let go of the things that hold us in and giving us the freedom that Jesus gives. And so I want to close there and ask us to pray but I do have some paper and some pencils on this table and maybe it's worth writing down while we're praying there's some of the things that hold you back maybe there's some stuff in the past that restricts you and keeps you captive maybe there's some stuff about the future that you're worried about where what am I going to do about my house what am I going to do about my job what am I going to do about my children I don't know what it might be but have a think about the things that keep you captive Uh, And then we're going to use those things to pray. They're private. No one will read them. Feel free to do that underneath a book or something. But let's spend a moment just thinking about those things that keep us captive. And then we will pray together.